Well, the uh, Soccer World Cup is over for another four years, and of course, Argentina have been crowned world champions. Yes, they are number one, or should I say, numero uno. Well, when the winning team returned home to Argentina, a parade was organised in their honour. Uh, in the end, four million people took to the streets of Buenos Aires to celebrate their victory. And uh, what did the crowds do as they gathered? Well, they sang. Wow, hey, uh, such uh, jubilation. Although unfortunately the whole parade had to be cancelled not long after it started on account of one particularly exuberant fan who, who tried to jump from an overpass onto the open top bus carrying the players. Uh, unfortunately, he didn't quite time his jump right and uh, ended up falling to the road below. Yeah, talk about missing your bus. That, <laughs> Yet what did, what did that fan do as he was stretched away to hospital with neck brace on? Let's have a look. <laughs> ah, yes, he just kept on singing. Uh, those Argentinian football fans, uh, they're something else, aren't they? But do you know... Uh, that there is another group of people who are historically known for singing when they come together. Now, can you guess who it might be that I'm talking about here? Yes, it's Christians. It's us. Uh, singing is it's typically one of the things that we do when we come together, isn't it? In fact, we've already done it, what, three times tonight? And, and we'll do it again before we're done. But why? Why? Why is singing so important to God's people? Well, tonight we're going to look together at Psalm 92, and, and we'll see there at least part of the answer. Uh, if you don't already have a Bible open in front of you, let me encourage you, grab one now and turn with me to Psalm 92. You'll find that on page 931 of the Church Bibles. Uh, now, the fact is, we, we don't know who wrote this psalm, uh, but we do know from the title that it was written as a song. And one that was meant to be sung on the Sabbath day. Uh, that is that special day of rest each week, uh, instituted by God himself for the Israelites. Uh, here, look, look with me at the psalm's title up the top where it says, A psalm, a song for the Sabbath day. And the psalmist, he begins his song by telling us that it is good to praise God. In other words, he says that it's good to declare just how great God is. Because that's what praise is, isn't it? Declaring the greatness of someone or, or something. And of course, it's, it's possible to praise God in various ways. You can declare how great he is in prayer as you, as you speak to him, as we did a little bit earlier in our service. You can 
praise him as you talk about him with other people, like, for example, in evangelism. But you can also do it in song. And it's specifically singing the praises of God that the psalmist has in mind here. He says that it's good to praise God in song, to the accompaniment of musical instruments like uh, the ten-stringed lyre and the harp. Uh, Not exactly the kind of instruments most Israelites would have had hanging around their homes, which means he's probably got in mind here people singing God's praises together at the temple uh, during a Sabbath day service. Uh, he reckons that, it is, it, that as God's people uh, come together, it's good for them to praise God in song. But what reasons do the Israelites have to praise God? I mean, what's so great about him? Well, the psalmist mentions at least four things here. Firstly, there's God's great love. His kind-heartedness and his deep affection for his people. Secondly, there's God's great faithfulness. uh, The way he unconditionally sticks with his people through thick and thin. And the way that he always keeps his promises to them. Thirdly, there's God's great deeds. You know, everything from his works of creation... The vast night sky, a delicate flower, to his works of provision, you know, giving people every breath they take and every meal they eat, to his works of salvation, uh, rescuing his people from Egypt and, and giving them the, the promised land. And finally, there are God's profound thoughts, you know, his limitless creativity and his his wise plans and decrees. You see, God's love, faithfulness, deeds and thoughts, these are all excellent reasons for the Israelites to praise God. They're like fuel for their praise, if you will, because they show that there is no one like God, that he is the true uh, numero uno, Or as the psalmist puts it, he is God most high. But here's a question. Why do you think the psalmist says that it's good to praise the Lord? What's so good about it, do you reckon? Well, of course, it's good in the sense that it is totally right and appropriate. In, In the same way that it would have been totally Bizarre, even even wrong, for those four million Argentinians to simply stand silently or sing half-heartedly as their victorious team passed by. That'd be unimaginable. And in the same way, it is totally appropriate and right to praise God because he is just so praiseworthy. But even more than that, praising God is also good in the sense that it is pleasant and enjoyable for those who do it. You know, that that whole process of of recalling and and declaring all the great things about God, his love and faithfulness and deeds and thoughts, 
It naturally fills the hearts of God's people with gladness. And in fact, that's exactly what the psalmist says. That as he sings his songs of praise, his heart overflows with joy. Here, read with me from verse 1. Verse 1. It is good to praise the Lord and make music to your name, O Most High, proclaiming your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night to the music of the ten-stringed lyre and the melody of the harp. For you made me glad by your deeds, Lord. I sing for joy at what your hands have done. How great are your works, Lord, and profound your thoughts. And so we're told that it is good to sing the praises of God because it's a totally appropriate and delightful thing to do. Not that everyone understands that, mind you. Now, there are some people, uh, the psalmist describes them as senseless fools, who refuse to acknowledge God for who he is. They're people who either neither know God nor praise him. Why not? Well, because quite frankly, they don't want to know God or praise him. In fact, they hate him because he's God. And they aren't. And so rather than exalting God, these people, they exalt themselves sitting in all kinds of ways in order to come out on top, in order to make themselves numero uno in this world. But of course, there's only uno numero uno, if you know what I mean. There's only one God most high who is forever exalted and without rival. And so, of course, that makes these wicked, foolish people God's enemies. And so although they appear to flourish for a while, though they they seem to come out on top, their success is short-lived. Because like weeds that spring up on the cricket pitch at the SCG, they cannot remain. And God will cut them down. And they will be destroyed forever. He read with me from verse 6. Verse 6. Senseless people do not know. Fools do not understand. That though the wicked spring up like grass, and all evildoers flourish, they will be destroyed forever. But you, Lord, are forever exalted For surely your enemies, Lord, surely your enemies will perish. All evildoers will be scattered. And so as surely as God is enthroned forever, just as surely will his enemies be destroyed forever, turned into grass clippings, as it were. But if God brings down those who exalt themselves, it's equally true that he exalts those who exalt him, those who recognise him for who he is. In the end, 
they will flourish. In fact, the psalmist is able to bear personal testimony of this having happened in his own life. It seems that uh, certain wicked people were out to get him, but God stepped in. He says that God has exalted his horn like a wild ox. In other words, just like a, a bull triumphantly lifts its horns after winning a battle, he's been victorious with God's help. And he goes on to say that God has poured out on him fine oils, you know, like a, a host uh, might have done to a special guest in that culture. In, in other words, God has honoured him, exalted him. But the psalmist knows that his experience isn't unique, that this is what God will ultimately do for all his people. And so whereas the ungodly end up like grass clippings, the psalmist says that the righteous will flourish like, like stately palms and grow like, like, like a mighty cedar. See, it's a picture of strength and stability and, and longevity. And it's clear that the reason they thrive is because they are, as it were, uh, planted in the courtyard of God's temple. In other words, they're, they're deriving sustenance from, from God himself. And so it is that even into old age, these righteous ones remain fresh and green. I don't think that it means that they'll necessarily be doing cartwheels or uh, running marathons. No, the, the fruit they bear in their old age is their continued praises of God as they keep on proclaiming just how great he is. Here, read with me these final verses from verse 10. Verse 10. You have exalted my horn like that of a wild ox. Fine oils have been poured on me. My eyes have seen the defeat of my adversaries. My ears have heard the rout of my wicked foes. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon, planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green, proclaiming, the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no wickedness in him. And so it is that the psalm ends where it began, with God's people praising him, even into old age, declaring just how great he is. And so we come to think now about what this psalm has to say to us here tonight. And of course, on this side of the cross, our situation, it's a little bit different to the people of Psalm 92 and the time it was written. For starters, now, God's people, well, it includes you and me, 
you know, not just the Israelites, but all who put their trust in Jesus, Jews and Gentiles. And it's also true that God's temple is, is no longer located in a building in Jerusalem, but rather it's in each of us believers as God's Holy Spirit lives in us. And of course, through Jesus, all of God's Old Testament laws, including the ones about the Sabbath day, have now been fulfilled, which means we're no longer bound to them in quite the same way. But that said, there is still much about this psalm that remains perfectly relevant to us 21st century Christians. After all, we still have a great God, don't we? Don't we? And so he is therefore a God who is worthy of praise. In fact, surely on, on this side of the cross, we, we have even more reason to praise God. I mean, think about it. Uh, the psalmist praised God for his love and, and faithfulness and mighty deeds and, and thoughts. Yet, yet surely as we consider Christ, as we think about Jesus and the salvation he has brought us on the cross, surely we know all of these things to the highest degree. The psalmist also praised God for the victory he gave him over his wicked earthly enemies. But of course, friends, through Jesus, God has given us a victory well, over our great, the, the greatest enemies of all. Over sin. Over Satan. Over death. Yeah, it's true. On this side of the cross, we have even more reason to praise God than the psalmist ever did. So much more fuel for our praise. And so it comes as no surprise that the New Testament speaks of praise as being a fundamental to who we are as Christians. Like, for example, in 1 Peter chapter 2, where we're told, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, listen to this, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You see, as Christians, we are to be, at our very core, a people of praise. And the New Testament is also clear that one of the important ways that we do that is by singing together. And so in Ephesians chapter 5, we're told, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, friends, I hope you can see the great significance of what we do when we sing God's praises together here at church each Sunday night. 
As Psalm 92 teaches us, it is good to sing the praises of God. Good, because it is right and appropriate. And good, because it's a joy and delight to praise the one who has done so much for us. But friends, if I'm honest with you, I can't help but wonder if this isn't something that we've failed to truly grasp here at Chatswood Presbyterian. What evidence do I have for that, you ask? Well, the fact that each week, on average, across our three services, there are fewer than 50% of people here when we start our services. Now, I know that to be true, not just because it's plain to the eye, but because our electronic check-in system reveals the truth. <laughs> it doesn't lie. <laughs> but think about it. Think about it with me, okay? How do we start each of our services? Okay, tell me. How do we start our services? By singing praises to God. Closely followed by prayers of praise to him. Yet the reality is, more than 50% of us are missing. We're missing out on that. And I'd like to say that this is an infrequent occurrence, but it's not, is it? No, sadly, it's week after week. It's habitual. Let's face it. And it leads, to me, it leads me to the conclusion that perhaps, just perhaps, we, we don't think of singing God's praises together as really all that important. It makes me wonder whether perhaps we're under the impression that, that singing is, is nothing more than, well, I don't know, a, a way of filling time in our services. You know, a chance to... Ah, oh, stand and finally stretch your legs and, you know, have a little bit of a mental break before, you know, we get on to the, to the real church stuff, like the sermon. But that's wrong. It's wrong. It's such an important part of who we are and what we do when we gather. Friends, the Bible's clear it's good to praise God in song. So if you don't find it good, if it doesn't really mean all that much to you, then perhaps you need to ask, why not? Perhaps you need to ask, what does it say about my relationship with God? Because here's the thing. The more you know and love God, the more enjoyable singing his praises will be. Like the Argentinians who, who, who love their team. It'll be unthinkable for us to stand silently or sing distractedly or, or half-heartedly to our great God. Or miss out on it altogether. 
by being perpetually late. It's one of the reasons we want everyone here at church to make Bible study a priority this year, because Bible study, you see, it's a great place to, to add fuel to your praise, where, where you'll learn more about God and all that he has done for you. It's true. The more you know him, the more you'll love singing his praises. But perhaps you're sitting there thinking, oh, yeah, well, look, Warren, that, that, that's fine for you to say, Warren. I mean, you've got the voice of an angel. <laughs> Maybe there you're thinking, yeah, but that's not me. You know, I, I don't have that kind of talent. I can't sing. If that's you, then thank you. <laughs> but you've missed the point. And you might want to get your ears checked. I really like the way modern hymn writer Keith Getty puts it when he says, your voice may not be of professional standard, but it is of confessional standard. In other words, it's not ultimately about how you sing, but that you sing, along with what you sing. You see, it's about declaring to God and to one another the magnificent truths about how great our God is. Which means if you've got a voice, you can sing. The fact is you shouldn't be any more concerned about the quality of your singing voice than that soccer fan in the stretcher was. Do you remember? Uh... No, like him, it's what's in your heart that matters most. And the thing is, as we, as we do sing, our hearts, they become knit together in praise. And let's face it, that is a wonderfully encouraging thing to be a part of, is it not? I mean, can you seriously imagine church without singing? How much poorer would we be? No, it is good to praise God together in song. So, so let me take this, this opportunity to thank the various bands of our church. Let me take the opportunity to say, band, thank you. Thank you for the way that you, you play your musical instruments for us. You know, your, your drums and your, your keyboards and your, your six-stringed lyres. <laughs> so that we can sing along each week. Thank you for all your hard work. Thank you for getting here so early to practice before the services, thank you. And let me take the time to say thank you to the song leaders too. Thank you for helping us to stay together as we sing, to stay in time. I hope that you can see the significant thing that you are doing for us here in this church. And let me say thank you to everyone who does make the effort to be here on time each week. And let me say thank you to everyone who sings with passion, with conviction. It is tremendously encouraging. It is good. So thank you. And finally, friends, let me, 
let me just point out the very obvious fact uh, that we live in a world full of senseless fools who could not care less about knowing God or praising him. Friends, let's make sure that we're not following their example, okay? Instead, let's find some godly examples to follow. Like who, you ask? Well, many of you will know that uh, last year, 2022, uh, was a year in which we we lost uh, a significant number of our older members uh, here at church. Uh, People we've had the privilege of singing God's praises alongside right here in this place. There was Eric Francis, aged 90. Peg Campbell, aged 98. Helen Thorpe, aged 95. Barry Breeze, aged 93. And Laurel Yates, aged 100. Each of them dying at a ripe old age, yet each of them remaining fresh and green to the end. To use the imagery of Psalm 92, they were spiritual palm trees and and, and cedars, continuing to bear the fruit of praise even as their bodies broke down. And I could tell you encouraging stories about each and every one of them. But for the sake of time, let me just tell you about my final meeting with Laurel. Now, I've got to say, uh, Laurel, uh, Laurel would have to be one of the sharpest women that I've ever met. But in the last couple of years of her life, her her mind uh, had deteriorated to the point where she'd become, well, really quite confused. And the last time I, I visited her in the nursing home, uh, not long before she died. Well, I I don't think she even recognised me anymore. And uh, it was quite obvious that it was impossible to have a conversation with her. And so I simply sat across from her in her little room and uh, I opened up the Bible and I began to read the 23rd Psalm, you know, the Lord is my shepherd. But to my astonishment, When I said the beginning of each verse, Laurel would interrupt and go on to finish it off from memory. Right up to the final verse, where I read, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And Laurel softly concluded, And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. At a funeral, uh, Laurel had organised for a note uh, to be read to her non-Christian family. That was a note she had prepared before her decline. Uh, This is what was said. I have consistently prayed and hoped for all of you that you will each come to know God's Son, Jesus Christ, and grow in faith in him, our greatest gift in life. You see, there she was in her final days, even in death, 
declaring the praises of her saviour. Now there's someone who had been planted in the courtyard of God, drawing sustenance from him, as all the others we lost last year had done too. It reminds me of those verses from Colossians chapter 2, which read, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Friends, all these people praised Jesus to the end because they knew Jesus to the end. And so I say, let's follow their example. Because, friends, Jesus is the true numero uno. He is our God most high. So this year, let's seek to know him more, that we might praise him more, like those who have gone before us. Until that day when we are finally with them again, gathered round the throne of heaven, having entered that eternal Sabbath rest, where together we will, with unspeakable joy, praise our Saviour forever. Let's pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, you are our great God and there is none like you. And so we praise you for your love and faithfulness, for your mighty deeds and profound thoughts. We especially praise you for Jesus our Saviour and for the, the many ways you have exalted us through him. We're sorry, Lord for the times we're foolishly neglected to sing your praises or seen it as some small thing. Lord, may our times of singing your praise be pleasing to your ears and fill our hearts with joy. Thank you for the wonderful example of those who have gone before us. Please keep us spiritually fresh and green all our days until we join them in the great heavenly congregation, singing your praises forevermore. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.